So we're going to just open in prayer. Father, thank you for your presence. Thank you that you are here already. Thank you, God, that by your Holy Spirit, that you want to speak into every heart today. God, thank you that your word is always fresh. Lord, thank you that you give us a word that is for a word for today. Thank you, God, that you're looking after us for today and for every day. And we just trust you now to come and speak to us. We, touch, we, we trust you, Lord, to touch us and to do something in us. Lord, we, we love you and we thank you for your precious Holy Spirit who lives and abides in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, we've been looking over the last three weeks at this diagram, and I think uh, some of you will be running up here. Um, I think a few of you could actually do this diagram now. So I'm going to race through it again to remind those of you who maybe this is your first time and you haven't heard of it. Uh, I don't want to go into real detail, but just to say that the tabernacle in the Old Testament was actually a big tent. And as you see, I've written in your notes that God wanted to be with his people so much that he was prepared. God, the almighty God, was prepared to come and presence himself in a tent to go through the wilderness with his people. Isn't that just, isn't that just incredible that God would want to travel with his people? Remember they were traveling from Egypt. He had taken them out of Egypt in a miraculous way through the Passover. And that's a whole other story, which is a picture of the cross. He took them out of bondage, out of slavery. And he started a journey with them from Egypt right up to the promised land, up to Israel. And it was going through the wilderness that God travelled with them in this, what, what was called in the, in, the, in the Old Testament, a tabernacle. It was actually a tent. But God had given Moses exact and precise instructions as to how to make this tent or this tabernacle. And everything about it had to be made to a certain pattern. Because Hebrews, Hebrews tells us, and I've given you in your notes the references, but you can see in Hebrews 8 and 5 that it was supposed to be in the exact pattern that God gave because it was a copy of the heavens. And so we saw over the last few weeks that not only was the priest meant to bring sacrifices into the outer court and then to go into this part of the tent every day to minister, but once a year the high priest would go right up through the outer court into the holy place and right into the holiest of all to bring a sacrifice for sin that would atone for the sins of the people. That word atone means to make one, to bring them back into agreement with God, that forgiveness is a temporary measure for their sins. Not only was this a picture of what the priest did, but it was actually a picture of the heavens. Remember, we said that it was a pattern, it was a copy of the heavenly places. And so it told us that there was more than one heaven. There are actually, this is in three parts, there are actually one, two, three heavens. The Bible talks about Jesus going through the heavens. And the first heaven is the atmosphere, it's the same as the outer court. It's the atmosphere around us is the first heaven. The second heaven is outer space, and the holy place is a bit like the, like the second heaven. And the third heaven is a picture of the holiest of all. That's where God dwells. And over the last few weeks, we've been reminding ourselves that when the astronauts go up, they go up to outer space, but they can't go to the third heaven because that's where God dwells. And that's where Paul talked about that he was caught up on the spirit into the third heaven. 
and he says he heard things that were just unimaginable in in God's presence. That's what we are heading for in the third heaven. Whenever we, you know, we're going to be, I believe we're going to go into the new heaven and the new earth anyway. We'll be, I think we'll be traveling between the third heaven and earth. It's not the new earth, it's not amazing. We'll be zooming about the place. But anyway, <laughs> these are the, 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 three, the three heavens. But then we looked at it and we saw that it also reminds us that we are tripartite beings. In other words, God made us with three parts. We have a body, which is like the outer court. We have a soul, which is our mind, our will and our emotions like the holy place and then the holiest of all is like our spirit and we've been saying over the past few weeks that when we are born that our spirit is born dead because of sin because of original sin in the garden of eden but when you ask jesus to be your savior when you invite him to come in to live in your life you actually your spirit comes alive because the holy spirit lives in your spirit and so your spirit becomes alive and the holy spirit now you're carrying the holy spirit and that's what it means that you become the bible talks about actually we are living walking talking tabernacles we are carrying the presence of, of christ through the holy spirit so we've seen this over the weeks that that this body soul and spirit it's wonderful because we have the holy spirit and we're carrying the holy spirit at the moment that we ask jesus into our hearts to save us the moment you recognise that you need your sins forgiven and you, 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 you recognise that Jesus died on the cross to pay the price for your sins, at that moment the Holy Spirit seals you, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 1. You're sealed by the Holy Spirit and he comes to dwell and to live in you. And that's what it means not to grieve him. Because whilst the Holy Spirit's living in your spirit, you've still got a soul here. Your body, your soul is your mind, your will and your emotions. And your mind and your will and your emotions are still the same. They're not. They're, they're, they can still go to the dogs. You can. You can still be thinking all the wrong things and doing all the wrong things and be out of step with the Holy Spirit who's in your spirit. And that's why some people who get saved and ask Jesus to come into their heart, that's why they get all confused because they're not not obeying the Holy Spirit that's in their spirit. They're listening to their old ways, the old mind, the old emotions, all the old stuff, instead of allowing the Holy Spirit to to change you, and that's what we said Romans 12 was all about, that we would present our bodies to God and we would renew, start asking him to change the way we think, our mind, and so that we would begin to bring our soul, our mind, will and emotions into line with the spirit. Does that make sense? Now we've been going over that for the last few weeks so, and I'm believing that we've really caught something because God wants us aligned up. I believe he wants us body, soul and spirit to be in line with his Holy Spirit. That's the good life. That's where we're listening to God instead of listening to our own ways. That's where we change the record that goes around and around in our head from the past where we've listened to lies over and over again. And we start to say, I'm not listening to those lies anymore. I'm going to listen to Jesus, what he says in his word. Then you begin to line up. This is the good life that Jesus talked about. I came to give them life and to give it to them more abundantly. Then the next week, that was the first week, and then the next week we looked at what was in the outer court. We saw that there was sacrifice for sin here every day, and there was a labour or a basin, a basin or a bath, whatever you want to call it, it's called a labour, but basically it was just a container holding water, and that speaks of every possibility of everyday purification. It speaks of the, how the word of God washes us clean. And in your notes, I have given you references for that. And then the next week, which was last week, we looked at what was in the holy place, which speaks of your soul, 
your mind, will, and emotions. And we saw that in here, the furniture in here was a, a big light, a lampstand, a, a table, and an altar of incense, which was to bring uh, the prayers of the priests. Now, we did all of that last week, and it's in your notes, so I'm not going to go back over that again. I think just to say that this speaks of your soul, and so we all, in, our, in your mind, and in your will, and in your emotions, you need God's light to shine. You need God's provision through the table. And in your mind, will, and emotions, God wants you to be praying and worshipping him and giving him thanks. One of the most powerful things you can do is to give thanks to God. Because God wants thanks in every situation. Because if we say thank you to God for the bad stuff, it means we trust him in the bad stuff. And so this is the altar of incense. So that was last week. So we okay now? We're starting from here then for this bit for this week. Are we all set with it? Okay, well you can turn over your page then to page two and we're going to look then at the holiest of all. And we're going to see that this speaks to us about how God came to live in a tent. Heaven came to earth. God loved his people so much that he wanted to be with them. God has always loved his people, has always wanted to be with his people. And so way back in the book of Exodus, during this journey from Egypt up to the promised land, God came and dwelt in this particular place. And uh, this is where he wants us to think, this is what I believe he wants us to think about uh, right now. Remember we said there was a veil that, that divided the holy place from the holiest of all. Only once a year could the high priest go right through and bring sacrifices here. And those sacrifices, uh, those sacrifices covered the sins of the people. Didn't do away with them, but covered them until Jesus would come. So all of this really was a picture of what Jesus was going to do. Because once a year in the Day of Atonement, this high priest would come through. This is known as the, the, the gate here, in the way in. Jesus said, I am the gate. Those who come to, through me will be saved. So the, the priests would come in, they would bring their offerings, wash themselves, go through all of that, go right through the holy place. And once a year, the high priest would come right into the holiest of all here with a sacrifice for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. It was a picture of what Jesus was going to do. And when Jesus died on the cross, this here was permanently broken. Remember that the veil was rent in two, which spoke that there's now no difference between, between these two compartments. There was a freeway then, it really was said, there's now a freeway into the presence of God. Before that, they came in fear and trembling. One day a year, the priest came with a sacrifice of an animal in fear and trembling and making sure he had everything done, that he was clean, that he had, the animal he had, he had spoken his own sin on the animal, that everything was okay because it was a dangerous thing. You just didn't run into God's presence. But when Jesus came to die for your sin, he completely, the Bible actually says, he became sin for you. He didn't know any sin. He kept the law. He didn't have any sin of his own. But he became sin so that you might be made the righteousness of God in him. Isn't that amazing? So now, because you're covered in his righteousness, you have a free access right into the presence of God. That's what it means in Hebrews 4 where it says, come boldly to the throne of grace where you might get help 
grace and help in time of need. And so now you have a free way right into the presence of God. And so we're going to look now at the furniture in here because we've said this is where the Holy Spirit dwells in you. Remember this particular part speaks of your spirit. And so we're going to look and see what the furniture means then. What is it that this is symbolic of? And the first thing we want to see is that God had told Moses to make an ark which was known as the Ark of the Covenant and was placed just inside the veil. And that Ark of the Covenant was actually a wooden box that was covered in pure gold. And it was placed, as we've said, just behind the veil here. And it actually, the wood and the box spoke about, this was where God dwelt. Right, this is where God actually lived in here. There was a thing called the Shekinah Glory, which is like a, I believe it was like a, a, a kind of a, a light that shone here. It was known as the Shekinah Glory. God's glory. Imagine, God came to put himself in a box so that, we, that the people could experience him to some degree. And this was actually meant to be like a big picture book so that the people could begin to learn about God and know how to approach him and, and learn how holy he was, but learn that God loved them enough to always make a way for them to get into contact and into relationship with him. That's the way God loves all of us. And so this Ark of the Covenant was a very, it was a place where God said he was dwelling and this Ark was made of wood and gold. Now the wood speaks of, of, the, of the humanity of Jesus Christ. A lot of the stuff in the whole tabernacle was made with wood and then covered in gold. Because that was an amazing picture of, of the humanity of Jesus, the wood. But then the gold, covered in gold, speaks of his deity. Because he wasn't just, he wasn't just a man. He was a real human man, but he was also God. And so he was God in flesh. And that's what this uh, wooden um, and golden wooden box covered in gold that is what it was representing now on the top of this box somewhere along the top there was like a, a golden molding here which was like a crown along the top and that of course spoke about his royalty about about his kingship that it was a, a, a like a golden crown around the top of it which spoke of how jesus was um, king and is king of all the earth and the four corners of this were also rings here and staves, poles that went through the rings because uh, if they were going to carry all of this through the wilderness they had to be very careful they didn't touch the ark it wouldn't have been safe to touch it human hands that were stained with sin couldn't touch God and so they had to carry it on these poles as they would march through the wilderness every part of this whole tent this whole tabernacle came down and there were strict, instruct, strict instructions as to how to carry it through the wilderness can you imagine uh, what are the, the reckon was about what two and a half million I think it was Jews and can you imagine them all carrying on their shoulders all these different parts of the tabernacle and of course the most important part was this one the Ark of the Covenant, because this was where God dwelt. And so they had to carry it in poles. What does that teach us? It teaches us 
That when we come to Jesus and we ask him to be our saviour and we realise he died on that cross, that he fulfilled all these animal sacrifices were only a picture of the sacrifice of Christ. That he became the sacrifice but he also became the priest who brought the sacrifice and he sacrificed himself with his own blood. And when we recognise that, that he did that for us and we receive him into our hearts, actually he comes to live in us. And so we carry him as we go through our lives. Isn't it amazing? They have to carry the presence physically with these staves and these, and carry the, the, the Ark of the Covenant uh, with these staves through the rings. But we carry him in our hearts. We carry him in our lives. And as you're going about your business, you're carrying, you're carrying Christ in your heart. The Holy Spirit is in you. God is in you. As you travel around i think that is amazing and so you see we need to know that god planned this because of the love that he had for his people and today i believe it's really important that you catch this afresh that god loves you with an everlasting love for god so loved the world that he gave his only beloved son that whoever that's anybody Whoever would believe on him, would rest on him, would receive him, whatever way you want to put it. Whoever believes on him would not perish, but have everlasting life. That is the relationship you've been brought into. If you've just simply asked Jesus to come into your heart, the Bible says that he not turn anyone away who comes to him. And so by faith you receive forgiveness and cleansing. And receive the fact and believe the fact that he is living, that God is living in you. And he wants to help you. And he's, in, he's dwelling in this part of you, in the spirit part of you. But he wants this veil to be broken. So that what the Holy Spirit says in your spirit begins to infiltrate into your mind, will and emotions. I'll tell you girls. It's the mind and the will and especially the emotions that get us. Isn't that right? And you see, what a man thinks, as a man thinks, so he is. And it's, the, it's whatever you're thinking that's going to affect your emotions. What you think will affect how you feel. And if you're listening to the lies of the enemy and you're believing those lies, you're going to soon feel the negative weight of those lies. You need to start declaring God's truth. Anyway, I'm getting ahead of myself here. I'm running away off myself. Okay, so this ark was made of pure gold and the top of it, there was a lid on the top of it here. And that lid was called the mercy seat. Now, I love this. Can you imagine on that one day of the Day of Atonement, whenever this high priest came in with all these sacrifices, the first thing he would have seen was the mercy seat. Why? Because God's a God of mercy. And you know what it says in Lamentations chapter 3? It says that his mercies are new every morning. You messed up yesterday. His mercies are new every morning. He does not want his kids running about feeling guilty. He sent his son to take guilt off you. Don't you carry guilt because the blood of Jesus has paid for your guilt. And so this was known as the mercy seat, but it was also known as the place of atonement. The place where atonement means made one with, where you wouldn't be out of step with God, but God wanted to bring you into oneness. 
There's a prayer that Jesus prayed in John 17 where he's speaking to his father and he said, Oh, Father, I would love that they would be one with us. Imagine, you've got Father, Son and Holy Spirit and and it's like they're in a circle. And, and, and if you get the picture, uh, and the old, the old Puritans had the picture, idea of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit always loving, always interactive, because the divine is one, but he's three in one. And, and it speaks of unselfishness and love passing between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And in that circle, he said that we want to bring our sons and daughters in. We want them to be one with us, that they can join in the dance with us. That's the idea that the old Puritans had. That's what, that's what the Bible teaches, that God is three in one. And Jesus is speaking in, in John 17 privately to his father. And he said, oh, oh, that they would be one with us. The place of atonement, the place of at one where he brings us into the circle, where you're in the circle of the dance. And so this is where now, this is where God's presence is in your spirit. And the veil has been broken. And he wants, he wants the Holy Spirit to start impacting your mind, will, and emotions. Right? So this was a very, very powerful place. The, the, the mercy seat or the place of or the seat of atonement. Now, I'm going to jump on for a minute and I'm going to look at what was inside this box. Because what's inside this box is important. For you and me to know. And the first thing that we need to see inside this book, I'm going to read to you now. I'm going to read from um, Hebrews chapter 9, where it says, verse 2, there were two rooms in the tabernacle. Uh, and remember, there was the outer court and then the two rooms. And so it says, uh, in the first room was the lampstand, the table, and the sacred loaves of bread on the table. This room was called the holy place. That's this one, taking up your soul. Then it goes on to say in verse 3, Then there was the curtain, this is the curtain, this was here, and behind the curtain was the second room called the most holy place, or the holiest of all. And in that room there was a gold, uh, well actually we talked about that last week, I'm going to skip that, the golden ark. The, last week we said the golden censer for the prayers was here, and then we said that this was broken, this, since Jesus divided this off, the interesting thing is that in Hebrews, it actually says that this had moved in here. I think that was interesting. I mentioned that last week, and a lot of commentaries are a bit confused about that. But honestly, I believe that, that the Holy Spirit has guided the writer to, the, to know that for we, before, were bringing our prayers here in our soul, in our, in our, in our mind, will, and emotions, that because of what Jesus has done on the cross, that actually our prayers now go right into the holy place. The incense has moved now. We're actually praying in our spirit. I believe that's what it means when it says we can pray without ceasing. Well, we can actually, it's not something we have to sit down and, of course it is, we want to sit down and pray, but we can be, we can be praying in our spirit, man, at any time of the day or night. And, and I think that's the wonder, because in the Old Testament, the altar of incense was here, but in Hebrews, it, it says it's actually in here. Now, I know in the Old Testament they used to bring, you know, censers and take them off the altar and bring the, they used to bring a censer in and put the smoke over here. That was very important they did that. But it seems from Hebrews that they're actually saying that this altar is now moved in here. And I think it's because when, now, because of what Jesus has done, because the curtain's been torn down, there's no longer a barrier between you and God, that the prayers in your spirit, you can burst into his presence. 
and you carry prayers constantly that can go up. I, I love the fact that you can be driving the car. And you can be and in fact you can be praying to God driving the car and not even speaking. Isn't that right? Your spirit. In your spirit, I love to get into bed at night and lie silently in my bed, but my, my spirit man is praying. And as well as that, you need to know that the Holy Spirit is praying for you prayers that cannot be uttered 24-7. And you need to know that Christ is praying for you as well. Look, you've got, a, you've got everything going for you. You've got everything going for you to live this life. And so we see that inside, inside this box now, we're going to look and we're going to see, and we better finish off the reading here because it refers to the golden altar and a wooden chest called the Ark of the Covenant, which was covered with gold on all sides, and inside the ark was a gold jar containing manna, an iron staff that sprouted leaves, and the stone tablets of the covenant. Now we're going to leave it right there for a moment, and then we'll come back to the next verse. Okay? So in in this in this box, we've seen that there was three three bits of furniture, or three things that were actually in this box. And I'm going to present this to you that I think these three things are very important for us to know about because I believe that they show us three important things. The first thing inside the ark was, did you notice it? It was a, a pot, a golden pot with manna in it. Now, in case that's foreign language to you, I need to just say that in the Old Testament, whenever the children of Israel were making that journey from Egypt, they had no food on the way and God sent them food from heaven and the food dropped on the ground every morning they had a fresh supply and this food was called manna manna simply means what is it I think when they picked it up and they went what is it and they called it manna that's why we it was food that came from heaven. It was a daily supply. That's why we talk about reading the Bible and, and coming to God for our daily bread. Because just as they needed physical food every day, we need spiritual food every day. So this was the manna that, that fell from heaven. Apparently, some of it had been protected and was in a golden pot. And it was inside the ark. What does that say to me? What does it say to you? Well, I believe this is really important. The manna came from heaven down to earth and it kept them alive. But it spoke of, it was a prophetic thing, speaking of Jesus coming as the bread of life, coming to be our heavenly manna to keep us alive spiritually. The way, now I want you to get this. The way that God has chosen to save you and me, the way that he has chosen to do it is through sending Christ from heaven to earth. Just like he sent the manna to keep the Israelites alive. It was a sign. When that fell every day, it was actually a prophetic sign that, that God was going to give his son. From, he was going to come to this earth. That was the way that God was going to do it. So the first thing I think we need to know is that whenever Jesus said, I am the way, I believe that's a picture of the manna coming down. That's the way that God chose to save your soul. That's the way that God has planned to, to bring you through life, through constantly giving you the manna, his son, Jesus, can feed you and take care of you. And you know what? I believe today that the manna that God has promised us, that he will feed us every day and give us what we need. 
We're going to bring all our requests to him. My God shall supply all your need according to his riches in Christ Jesus. And so the first thing in the inside the, the Ark of the Covenant was the, the, the manna in the golden pot. What does it speak of? Again, it speaks of ordinary bread, but in a golden pot. It speaks of the, the humanity of Jesus, ordinary, but golden pot speaking of deity of God. Again, it's a, just a picture of Jesus coming down from heaven. And that's the way that God planned to save you and to save me by coming down. Now, as well as the golden pot with the manna inside it, the other thing that was in here, it says, and we read it in, in, uh, in Hebrews 9, the other thing that we saw was that there was the, um, we saw that, and the manna is mentioned first, and then we see that there was the Ten Commandments were in there. Now, it says stone tablets of the covenant. That's referring back to the Ten Commandments. Now, I think it's really important that we understand why the commandments, why the Ten Commandments were in that, in that box. You see, when Jesus came to this earth, he just didn't come to say, um, well, you know, God gave the Ten Commandments and he gave all the law because that the law's good and, and God's good and God's righteous, but I'm just going to forgive you anyway. No. The Bible says, Matthew's Gospel, it's in your notes. Jesus said that he came not to kind of poo-poo the law, but to fulfill the law. So none of us could ever do everything that God required to be holy. Might be a bit of a surprise to you, but you're not holy actually on your own. But all of us, the Bible says, we've all gone astray, we've all gone our own way, we've all our own, own nature. But God's holiness the commandments that God gave, Jesus Christ was the only person who ever kept them absolutely perfectly. And he said in Matthew chapter 5, he said, I came not to destroy the law, but I came to fulfill the law. So Jesus came and the Ten Commandments reminded me and remind you of the truth. The truth that Jesus fulfilled God's truth. His law is truth. And he fulfilled it to the last, the Bible says it fulfilled it to the very last dot. There wasn't, there wasn't one thing that wasn't crossed or dotted. He fulfilled the law completely. And that's important for us to know because we can't fulfill it. So we needed a saviour who was holy without any sin of his own. Because how could he be made sin for you if he already was carrying sin? There was no sin in Jesus. He was spotless. And that's why when he became sin, he could take on your sin and mine. And so he kept the law. Now what's the law? The law is the truth. So he is the, what is he? He is the way and he is the truth. And remember whenever Thomas came to Jesus and said, how are we going to get to heaven? How can we know the way? And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth. And then he said, I am the life as well. And we're going to see that the Ammon, the Ammon rod, of the life. Now, are you still with me in this? Are you still getting this? Because the furniture in oh, this. the furniture inside this box, I think, is important for us. Because I'll tell you something. We need to know that Jesus is the only way we can get to heaven. But you know what else we need to know? We need to know that Jesus is the only way that we can get through life. 
The Bible says that there can be a mountain, but he can make a way through a mountain. Isn't that incredible? He can, in fact, it says he can make the mountain a way. So if you're in a situation today and you're, you're feeling that there's, there's stuff there that you don't know how to handle, there's stuff worrying you, if your soul is all out of joint here because in your mind you're worried and, and you're, you don't know what to do and there's confusion and your emotions are all churned up because of whatever you're going through at the minute, you need to know that Jesus is the way for you to get through that. He's the way to heaven, but he's the way through every difficult circumstance in life. And not only is he the way, but he is the truth. He kept the law. He became, he, he, he became sin for you, but he has kept all the truth. And Jesus says, if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. So we need to know that, that, that we are carrying, we're carrying the bread from heaven in, the, in our hearts. We need to know in our spirit. That, that the manna speaks of Jesus, that he is there to feed us, that our spirit will be continually fed. And we need to know that in our spirit now, the Holy Spirit dwells, and the Holy Spirit will reveal truth to us. And Jesus says, when you know the truth, the truth will set you free. So if you're feeling at the moment like you, you don't know what to do or you're all messed up, you need to know that in your, in your spirit, the Holy Spirit's there, and the Holy Spirit wants to teach you truth. And sometimes in our soul, our mind, will, and emotions were not believing truth. Now, would you agree with me? Is it possible that we would believe the lies of the enemy? Just a wee bit. I'll tell you, that's one of the daily battles that I have, is not to listen to the lies of the enemy. I need to listen to the truth of what God says. Now, the lies of the enemy tell me that I'm not good enough, that, um, that my sins that happened an hour ago or yesterday or last week that really, you know, that disqualifies me for whatever. No. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses you from all sin. And the moment you bring it to God, it says if you walk in the light, as he is in the light, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses you from all sin. But the thing is that this part, the light here we spoke about last week, is in the mind, will, and emotions. And God wants us to walk in the light. Now, I didn't really get to, to speak about this last week, but I really feel it's really important. If you're worried about something, or there's something going on that just pulls you back into depression, or there's something that just, you, you just, you're not enjoying God the way you want to, ask the Holy Spirit to shine his light into your heart. And if there's anything that you need to tell God about, bring it into the light, right? I think that's why it's so important that the light is in the holy place, the mind, will, and emotions. Because a lot of the time, we're carrying stuff and it's in the dark. And we're keeping it there. And in fact, there's stuff that the enemy has and it's legal ground because we have given him legal ground. We have believed lies of the enemy and that gives him power. If you, listen, if you believe the lies of the enemy, it gives him legal power over your life. And you need to repent of stuff that you have believed that was lies. Because God wants you to walk in the truth. Because he knows the truth will set you free. And the truth is that Jesus died for your sins, that your sins are paid for, that you don't have to pay or atone for them because Jesus paid for them. He became sin instead of you so that you could become the righteousness of Christ. That you, and on Sunday here, we, Dave Wiley was speaking here on Sunday and he talked about putting righteousness on like a garment. Now I've got a big black coat here, so... 
That's not a great illustration. It'd be better if it was a white one. I should have gotten a white coat. But whenever you trust Jesus as your saviour and you believe that he has saved you, you actually put his righteousness on. You become righteous. It's not your own. And this is what they did on Sunday night. You're actually wearing the righteousness of Christ everywhere you go. And if you sin, you just ask for a cleansing again. But your righteousness is not something that you've done to earn your righteousness. It's something he has put on you because he died for your sin. That is the truth. I'm not taking the righteousness off me. I'm just... (laughs) (laughs) So it's really important that we know that this salvation that we have is far greater than what we imagine. We are actually living away down here. We're living not in the good of it at all. We don't realise how wonderful it is. God has thought of everything. And he wants you to enjoy. He wants you to enjoy the fact that you're in the way with him and he can take you through anything. He can make a way where there seems to be no way. But he also wants you to enjoy his truth. And he wants you to enjoy the lightness of walking in the light. Because, you see, whenever you keep stuff in the dark... Now, the funny thing is that a few days ago... One morning, I woke up there a few mornings ago, Sunday morning, it was Sunday morning, and I woke up and I had a dream and it was stuff from the past. And it was a funny dream and I actually woke up feeling, you know, I need somebody to pray over that. Because it was like some things were coming up and I just thought, do you know what, I just want to repent. It wasn't actually anything to do that I had done, it was just something in my past. Believe me, you don't have to go into it. But anything that you say that the enemy might have a legal ground on. Like, really, we don't know what the generations did before us. We don't know. There's a lot of stuff we get involved in, even in relationships with people. And we just need to ask the Lord to cleanse us from the past, even from generational sins or whatever. And on Sunday morning, I just felt I needed to get a friend to just pray and cut off anything that I was repenting of anything in the past, even if I didn't know about it, because I wanted to be completely free. You see, Satan's always looking for legal ground. And the stuff that's been kept hidden in, you know, in the dark, stuff that you're ashamed of, and, and it keeps coming to your mind, if you've, if you've asked God to forgive you of it and you, and you don't think about it, then you're, you're free of it. But a good yardstick is, if there's stuff in your past that still keeps coming back to trouble you, you know, my advice to you is get somebody you trust and bring it into the light. You'll find a tremendous freedom. I had something uh, a few years back that had troubled me for years, something I was very ashamed of. Um, and I it kept coming back, even though I was attentive to the Lord. And I, I went to this friend and I said, I want to bring this into the light. And you know, this same friend has brought some of her stuff into the light. Good to have a friend like that. And we've just said, Lord, we're bringing it into the light. And we want to repent of anything because we don't want Satan to have any legal ground. It's so important because I'll tell you, the enemy is watching to see if there's any liver cranny you can get in. And we don't have to be afraid of him because the blood of Jesus Christ covers us. And you know, very often I just say, Lord, just please your covering over everything. And we're safe. But God wants us to know the joy and the lightness. Because there's a lightness when we know stuff has gone for good and we feel, we feel light about it because when it's gone, it's not coming back to trouble, trouble us. And God wants us to be a people who are free. The truth, when you know the truth, 
the truth will set you free. And the truth is that Jesus is the way and he is the truth. The final thing that was in this chest was an almond, it was a rod that had burst into almond, it sprouted leaves and, and it had also, if you read back uh, in the references I've given you there, you'll see in Exodus, I'll tell you the story. The story was that when they were travelling through the wilderness, travelling up from Egypt, and they were carrying all of this um, the tabernacle and worshipping God through the priests and the sacrifices, that some of the people started to murmur and complain against Moses and Aaron. And God said to all the leaders of all the twelve tribes, leave a rod out overnight and I will show you. And they all had to write their name. And Aaron, he was the, he was the high priest. And he told Aaron to write his name on his rod. And all the leaders had to write their names on each of the rods. And the rods were left out overnight. And God said he would show the person of his choice the one whose favour God was resting on. And the next morning, Aaron's rod, it was no longer an ordinary rod. There were leaves sprouting on it. And not only leaves, but there was actually fruit. It said there was ripe almonds on it. Now, do you remember last week we talked about the almond, speaking about fruitfulness? And so it was a wonderful picture, not only of God's favour on Aaron as the high priest, but it was a wonderful picture of the resurrection life. The almond, the, 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 actually the ripe almond bursting on this rod. And this was also part of the furniture in this box. What does it speak of? It speaks of the resurrected life of Jesus. I am the way, the man. I am the truth, the Ten Commandments. And I am the life. That's what Jesus said. And that's what symbolizes in this Ark of the Covenant. The word covenant means an agreement. The covenant was the covenant promise, which is much stronger than any covenant we could make. I mean, we could go to a, a lawyer or a solicitor and we could get them to draw up a, a deed of covenant. We, we could, I mean, marriage is, is, is a covenant, but I mean, human covenants can be broken, but God's covenant can't be broken. And we can go back into the Old Testament and a whole lot of stuff because, you see, Jesus said he was the new covenant. And so we, in our spirit, we carry God's presence. We carry his truth. We, ca we carry the life of God in us. We're gonna, you're going to live forever. Your, your spirit and your soul, this part of your body will decay and you'll get a new body, but this part of you is going to live forever. You're going to be in one of two places, either with God or not with God. And that's why it's so important that we tell you that if you want to be with God and in heaven, that you need to, you need to ask Jesus to be your saviour because he has paid the price to bring you right into God's presence, to give you a future and a hope. And so this is the truth and the meaning of this Ark of the Covenant. But not only that, let's read on from, from Hebrews 9 and let's read down to verse 5. Above the ark were the cherubim of divine glory whose wings stretched out over the ark, over the ark cover, the place of atonement. But we cannot explain these things in detail now. So we see that uh, Hebrews is reminding us that over the ark there were like two angels, hope you enjoy my um, drawings here of these angels, they're not great, 
Uh, but there, can you imagine the angel's wings? And they had to be overstretched, the mercy overstretching and covering over the mercy seat on top of the ark. Now these were beaten of gold, and I've given you references there to look up in Exodus, but they had to be made of beaten gold. And the, the idea was that the two angels were kind of facing each other, but they were actually resting over the ark. Do you know, I think this is the most amazing thing, because it, no doubt it tells us that in the Old Testament that they were to guard the holiness of God. For the cherubim are angels. There's different kinds of angels. The cherubim and the, sh- and, the, and the seraphim, but these were cherubim who guard the holiness of God. <coughs> so whenever the high priest went in every year, he would then the first thing he saw was the Ark of the Covenant. He knew all that furniture was inside it, and then these two big wings, beaten in gold, that symbolized the, and of course the, there was this light of God's presence called the Shekinah glory. It's an awesome thing for the priest to go in there. Here's the secret of this that I think is so beautiful. Yes, the, the, the cherubim were, um, they were there to, um, they were there to guard this holy place. You couldn't just run in and out of there. It was a fearsome, fearsome place. Unless you were carrying the proper sacrifices and doing it according to the pattern that God had said, the priest. In fact, apparently, um, we hear from historians tell us that the priest, they used to tie a rope around his leg as he went in with the sacrifices in case that he died because he hadn't done something proper. And if he died and he didn't come out, they would pull him out with the rope. This is how holy and how awesome and how fearsome this place was. But you know, when Jesus Christ went to the cross and died for us, he went in not only as our priest, but in with his own body as a sacrifice. And he went in here with his own body so that you and I could run in and out of here 24-7. Run into his presence and talk to him and tell him all our troubles. I mean, how amazing is that? Now, if you could, I've written in your notes here, if you could go back, you know where they get these time machines. If you could jump in a time machine and go right back to the third day, the day of the resurrection. If you could be with Mary Magdalene in the garden, and we have been to that garden, I believe it's the place, I know some people argue it, but we have been to the garden too, and there's just a sense of God there, it's just awesome. But if you, if you could get in the time machine and go right back to that day, the third day of the resurrection, and if you could peep with Mary inside the tomb, you know what the Bible tells us in John Gospel chapter 20? It tells us that Mary saw two angels, one sitting at the top and one sitting at the bottom, overlooking where the Lord had laid. Now, hold that thought. You see these two angels overlooking the mercy seat. There's a verse in Peter that says that the, the prophets that spoke, they didn't understand what they were speaking about in the Old Testament. They didn't really understand it all, but they spoke as the Holy Spirit gave them words to prophesy the coming of Jesus. But it also tells us at the end of that verse, and I think I'm going to read it to you here, the very last bit. It tells us that, the, it is, it is, that what God did was so wonderful that even the angels were eagerly watching these things happen. Do you see from the very beginning of time when the angels saw God breathing breath, oh dear, sorry about that, 
when the angels saw God breathing breath into Adam in the garden, the angels must have stood back and went, what is happening? God of the universe is breathing his breath into, into this. And as they saw Adam step up, and then they saw God making, making Eve out of part of it, as they saw what happened, they must have stood back and went, what is he doing? But you know, can you imagine the wonder and the amazement of the angels as they looked on at what God did whenever Jesus was leaving heaven? When he was packing his bags to come down to earth to be brought forth in the womb of the humble virgin girl, what must the angels have thought? They must have been utterly amazed. And, and I believe as this picture of the angels overlooking the mercy seat, it speaks not only as to how they were guarding God's holiness, that's their job, but I believe it's, it, I think the older translation, the New King James says, the angels desired to look into it. And I think they were like, what? What has God done? And he has sent his son, and, and when they saw him, Jesus was resurrected. They were actually in the tomb, looking over where his body had been. The mercy seat, the mercy of God. You know, I would love, girls, that we could realise that we are free, that we are free to live in this holy place, that we can live with God, we can know that Jesus can make a way for us, that he is the way of our salvation, that he is the way for us to get through life, that he has the truth, all that we need, and when we listen to his truth instead of listening to the lies of the enemy, we can walk in truth, and when we know the truth, we can be free. When we realise we don't have to hold on to the old stuff from the past and, the, and the, the stuff that worries us and pulls us down and realise that we are not only walking in the way of God and in the truth of God, but we've got the life of God. I mean, the life of God is in us. When we realise the big picture that even the angels are looking, angels are looking over us and saying, wow, look at her. God has a plan for you and he wants you to walk in his way with his truth in his life listen the life that's in you if you've asked jesus to be your savior the life of god is in you and you your spirit and your soul is never going to die and this old body that we have here it will decay but god has promised he's going to give you a new body and this is the wonder that heaven has come down to earth. That's why Jesus said, pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God wants to bring heaven down to earth. It's not, it's not really that we're all looking to get saved and then be pulled out of this place. God wants us to get saved and to bring heaven down to this place. He wants this earth to become like heaven. And you see, whenever it's all said and done, the Bible says that there's a day coming where there will be a new heaven and a new earth. And Jesus Christ is going to set up his kingdom. And we're going to be part of that administration. And the hardships that we might be going through now are nothing to what God has planned for you. Ear hasn't heard. You're, you're thinking, eyes have not seen, ears have not heard, neither have it entered into the mind or the thoughts of those who know them and love them. There's a big plan, a big picture 
for this universe. And we need to start and believe the truth and walk in the way and experience his life, giving us the power. The resurrection power can give you life, can give you such a power in your life that you can overcome the difficulties. I read a, a book before it came out of the house, and I remember reading it with me and I left it behind, but basically this was a daily reading and it was basically saying that there's something about all of us that drips the glory, isn't there? You know, everybody, the world, they want to win things and glory within our DNA. And yet the world goes about it in all the wrong way. Listen, we are built in his likeness to carry his glory. And as we as we walk with this alignment of walking in the way, the truth, and the life, as we allow that to be part of us, so that we're thinking straight and we're living in this way, the way that God has set before us, and we're living in the power of his life, you know what happens? The whole world will begin to see his glory in you. Because we're meant to be carrying his glory. And when the world starts to take notice of his glory, and the, the, this daily reading was saying that they believe that that time is coming for so, so many believers across the world. These terrible things are happening. Evil is rising. But I'll tell you, God's rising. And I'll tell you, as, as, as the glory of God rises across this earth, so evil will rise as well. But listen, there's always going to be that conflict until Jesus finally deals with that old death and he will be put down. But right now, our job is to live in the power of the Holy Spirit, walking in the way, walking in the truth, and experiencing the power of the resurrection life in everything that you do. When you're doing the dishes, if you do it to him, if you don't have to think about it anymore, it's just part of who you are. That your mind, your will, and your emotions are in line with the Holy Spirit, and your body's coming into the good of that as well. And listen, He has a plan that's greater than anything you can imagine. I just believe that God wants to bless us today. Father, I pray that those in this room today who are feeling a bit worn out, are feeling a bit discouraged, are feeling a bit fearful, God, I pray that the truth of your word would absolutely infiltrate their deepest being. Lord, that they would stop believing the lies, that they would stop believing the fear that the enemy would try to bring around them. Lord, that they would believe the truth of your love and of the power of the, of the cross of Jesus Christ and the power of his resurrection. And God, I pray that today, that, that every single woman in this place will have an encounter with you where they would be encouraged in their inner person, in their inner man, as the Bible talks about, that their, their soul will come into line with the Holy Spirit and begin to enjoy the power of living life to the full. God, that's what I declare, that's what I pray over every single person. And that we would know that you have been desirous to be with us for so long that you will never let go of us. Thank you that we can sing this song and we can sing it in truth, knowing that you will never let go. Lord, we thank you for your word and we thank you for the, the, the truth that the tabernacle uh, shows us, Lord, about your commitment to us. And Lord, we just want to receive it by faith and thank you for all that you've given to us in Jesus' name. We're going to stand now, we're going to sing this song. Um, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, your perfect love is casting out fear. And even when I'm caught in the middle of the storm of this life, 
I won't turn back. I know that you're eternal. And I will fear no evil, for my God is with me. And if my God is with me, whom then shall I fear? Let's just really sing this in truth.